How can I know God is real? What does the Bible say about politics? Why does a good God allow suffering? If you have questions about faith, life or culture, don't be afraid to ask. This This is Ask with David Dean. G'day everyone, Dave Dean here. And our question for the week is, is it possible to interpret the Bible objectively to know what God has said? Have you ever been in a classroom or a Bible study reading a text and had the teacher or leader go around the room asking, what does this mean for you? And then you hear one person say, well, for me, it means, and then another person say, well, for me, it means, and you end up sometimes with just wildly different personal opinions on the same text that you've been reading, making you wonder if you can even really know what the text means at all. I know that I have. And while I don't want to diminish the way certain texts speak to certain people in specific ways, I think it is very important that we not confuse the objective meaning of a text with what it signifies to or for the reader, that is the subjective or personal meaning. You see, the objective meaning of a text is the truth of what it says in itself, open and accessible for all people in all places for all time. The subjective meaning of a text is how it is taken in by that reader, what that text implies or how it applies to the reader subject to it. Now, when Christians go to church and hear a pastor teaching the Bible or when we read books and commentaries on the Bible, the goal, at least I hope, is that we are there to learn about what God's word says in itself, not simply what it means to the preacher or author. But is this even possible? I mean, don't we all come from unique backgrounds with different personalities, pre-understandings, education, presuppositions and assumptions and so on, all of which radically affect the way we read and interpret written texts? Of course. But if that's the case, then how can we realistically expect any preacher or biblical commentator to separate themselves from their backgrounds and presuppositions in order to get at what the text actually says objectively in itself? Well, for many people, we can't. Objective interpretation is simply a pipe dream, and indeed the whole idea of truth itself is just really relative to every person in their subjective way of comprehending the world around them. But I reject that notion, and I want to give three reasons why here. First, objectivity in interpretation is unavoidable. If the statement there is no objective interpretation is true, then it must be applicable to all such statements, including the statement there is no objective interpretation itself. You see, it's not so easy to get around this issue of objectivity. Should we interpret that statement, there is no objective interpretation subjectively or objectively? If objectively, then it is false. If subjectively, then it is not applicable to all interpretations and the door is still open to objectivity. In his book, Objectivity in Biblical Interpretation, Thomas Howe explains a situation like this. Quote, the fact of the matter is, objectivity is not only possible, it is also unavoidable. Even the critics of objectivity think that you, as a reader, can objectively understand their objections to objectivity. The reason it is important to establish that objectivity is possible is that without it, there could be no communication. There would be no way to know whether one had correctly understood what was said or whether our pre-understanding had entirely distorted it. I like the way Howe puts it. If you can hear and understand the words I am speaking to you right now through this microphone, then objectivity in interpretation is demonstrably unavoidable. If there were no objectivity, there would be no communication at all, no rules for me speaking to you and no rules by which you can therefore comprehend what it is that I am saying. You see, what this tells us is that despite all of our differences, and we do have real differences, there are Things which we also have in common that unite us together, which make us collectively understood as this thing called humanity. One example of this is our common rational faculties, which allow us to 
communicate as how put it. And a basic principle of communication or law of logic is what philosophers have called the law of non-contradiction. A is not non-A. For example, if an animal is a dog, then the same animal cannot be a chicken. You know, when we identify one thing as something, we are limiting it. We are excluding it, therefore, from being something else. A dog is not a chicken. You see, logic is really quite straightforward when you break it down. So that's the first thing to say. Objective interpretation is unavoidable. But second, subjectivity in interpretation can be controlled. The academic field concerned with methods of interpretation is known as hermeneutics, a word which derives from a Greek word which means to translate or interpret. Hermeneutics is a fascinating field of study, and when it comes to interpreting the Bible, what hermeneutics does is help hedge or control our subjective inclinations that just want to run away with our own ideas as to what it is that a text is saying when they may not indeed even be there. When I think of hermeneutics, I like to think of a pinball machine. You know, when you get this idea that starts to roll in one direction, we have these hermeneutical levers, these controls, which flick us back into the center, so to speak. How so? Well, the most obvious lever or control that we have when interpreting the Bible is the text itself. If we want to know what the Bible has to say, then we need to start with what the Bible has to say. The substance, the syntax, the grammar, the structure, the form of the words in their immediate context of whatever book we happen to be reading and that book's context in the overall context of the Bible as a whole limits us to the scope of possible ways of interpreting what the Bible has to say. But sometimes studying the words in their grammatical context isn't enough because words are used in times and places and in languages and cultures in history over time in different ways. So we need another historical lever that helps control our interpretation of the text to who, when, where, and how it was originally written. So taken together, this hermeneutic is known as the grammatical historical method of interpretation. And if I may just provide one quick example to tie it together. In Revelation 2.17, we read, To the one who was victorious, I will give them some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it, end quote. Just take white stones there as an example. What does that mean? We know what white stones are. They are stones that are white. That's what the grammatical form and structure means. But what is the significance of a white stone? Is God giving us white stones to skip across a lake to put in our garden? What's the significance? What's that meaning? Well, significance gives us that meaning and therefore that full-orbed interpretation of this passage, in this case, from the historical context. In ancient Rome, there was a custom of awarding white stones to the victors of athletes in games. The white stone had the name of the athlete on it, which served as a ticket to a victory banquet, a celebration of that victory. So when Jesus says that we will receive white stones, when we put that statement in its historical context and appreciate that within the broader context there in the book of Revelation, it becomes evident that what Jesus is saying is that we will receive a ticket, an entrance with our name on it into the victory celebration of heaven, into what the rest of Revelation describes as the wedding feast of the Lamb. So that's a second principle, namely that subjectivity in interpretation can be controlled. But there's a third and final thing to say, and that is that subjectivity isn't something to be avoided. It is actually a necessary part of objective interpretation. If objective interpretation is unavoidable, 
that each interpreter of a text like you and I are subjects with, again, different personalities, pre-understandings, presuppositions, and assumptions, then it is in some sense necessary, if not sufficient, that subjects are capable of objectively interpreting things despite all of our differences. We all have faculties which enable us to grasp the objective truth of things and going about that process, each bringing our unique backgrounds to bear, often means that we collectively come to a full-orbed interpretation, even appreciation of what a text has to say. You know, I'm a qualified engineer, and when I prepare a sermon to preach at church, I tend to engineer my message by looking for problems to solve and outlining them in an ABC kind of structure. But I have friends who are psychologists and counsellors who bring their own expertise to the Bible and draw things out of the text that I would never see. Same too with my artistic friends who can, you know, anecdotally paint word pictures in the moment that would take me a long time to try and piece together. So subjectivity is a necessary part of interpretation, but that doesn't necessarily preclude that we can interpret things objectively. It just means that we happen to do that process of interpreting in a way that happens to illumine different angles on what the text actually has to say. So is it possible to interpret the Bible objectively and know what God has said? I say yes. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He can use all of our idiosyncrasies and experiences to accurately reflect the truth of his word, a word which stands as objectively true and binding for all people in all times at all places that we may observe and that we may know and that we may take heed forever. Do you have a question about Christian beliefs, theology, doctrine, philosophy or culture? Don't be afraid to ask. Go to drcdean.com forward slash ask. That's Dean with an E. 